Good morning. My name is Mark. The Old Testament reading is found in Zechariah chapter 2, verses 10 through 13. Shout and be glad, daughter Zion, for I am coming. I will live among you, declares the Lord. Many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people. I will live among you, and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. The Lord will inherit Judah as his portion. The Holy Land will again choose Jerusalem. Be still before the Lord, all mankind, because he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. The word of the Lord. The New Testament reading is found in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. The word of the Lord. If you are able, please stand for the gospel reading found in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The Gospel of the Lord. While you're standing, let's pray. Spirit of the living God, we need you. If we have come here to hear a tricky talk, three simple points for a better life, we've wasted our time. We've come to hear the thundering voice of God Almighty. We've come to be put back together as the people of God. We've come to be healed to the deepest places and raised to new life in your spirit. And so we say, come, Holy Spirit, and speak to us. Walk these rows, walk these aisles, walk our hearts. We pray, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. We pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Before we get started, I just want to say how much I love New Life Downtown, how much I love this congregation. Some of you are like, we've never met. I love you. <laughs> I've known Glenn and Holly for over 20 years. I've known Jason and Sarah for over 20 years. Jason Jackson was my high school youth pastor in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I was 16. He was 19. He was a new believer. He was showing me the way. So if you hate today's sermon, blame Jason. All right. Thank you. Appreciate that. My, uh, my youngest, we have three kids, 13, 11, and nine tomorrow. Our baby boy, Wakely, will be nine tomorrow. And his second grade teacher is here today. She attends downtown. And before I was leaving, he looked at me, and basically what he was saying is, don't screw this up. <laughs> so I'm gonna, uh, we'll do our best here. Today we're going to read, we, we read out of the prophet Zechariah, 
the second to last minor prophet in the Old Testament. And Zechariah essentially wants to ask us, have you ever had your expectations wildly unmet? It was two years ago. I just finished my 14th year at New Life. I was beginning my 15th year and we were getting our second sabbatical. So we got six weeks off and we had been planning for this. At the time, our daughter just turned 12 and our boy was almost 10 and then seven. So they were at this magical age where they could get on a plane and fly and like not break apart, you know, as a human being. So they were so excited. And so we saved up our money. We saved up our airline miles. We bought tickets, five tickets to London. And we were going to take our three kids over there for this just life-changing memory that we'll always have. So we got on the plane. We flew over to London. And I didn't really, I've been to London a lot, but I didn't really know the streets. And I wasn't sure how to do the VRBO thing internationally. So I was doing my best and I was looking at maps and found this place that was relatively, you know, inexpensive. And I, and, and so we, we get on uh, the, the Uber, get in the Uber and drive to this place after we land and we pull up and, oh, it, it, it looked like a cinder block building out of Chernobyl the, where we were renting. And, and I realized you get what you pay for. <laughs> and so we go into this place. I'm like, you know, we can do anything for three days. It'll be fine. And we, we go and we check in this place. And, and it, was, it, was, it was rough. And, okay, kids, you know, close your eyes. You're fine. We'll make it. Uh, <laughs> so we go to bed. We get the kids tucked in that night, you know, two tight little rooms next to each other. And we discover late in the evening that the neighbors next door who are like right through the paper thin walls, they are drunks. And they start screaming and yelling at each other and beating each other against the wall. And uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, I'm not sure what's going on. I'm barricading the door with the furniture. I'm looking through the peephole and he's coming right and banging on our door. And I literally thought, we're going to die tonight. This is it. This is how, it was a great run. Uh, but we're going out here in London in this Chernobyl center block building. And, and it was, we, we pulled out our phones. We, they finally quieted down at about 3 a.m. because I think they passed out. And Lisa and I got out our phones and we're like, this is not the same pictures. Like we're looking at the VRBO listing. Like it looked gorgeous. It was beautiful. And, and this isn't the same place we got lied to. Have you ever had your expectations wildly unmet? Well, welcome to the people of God and how they felt when the temple was rebuilt. Solomon's temple in 960, somewhere in the 900s BC was this amazing place. It was gargantuan. It was gorgeous, majestic. And, and the furniture and the people coming to worship and slaughtering the animals and, and the praises of God's people. It was a majestic place. It was glorious. And now they finished up, these people living in 520 BC, 400 years after Solomon's temple, they, they rebuild the temple and they sweep up the floors and they back up and they take a look at it and it was, in, it was just it was depressing. It was in shambles. The cognitive dissonance that they would have experienced remembering the stories from their great, 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 great grandparents writing down what the temple was like and then here they are in 520 with this rebuilt temple that was a piece of trash. It, it was... It was horrific. It was heartbreaking for them. So this is what the glorious promises of God look like? Really? 
Zechariah chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Then the angel of the Lord. Now the angels are getting in on this. The people are so heartbroken, and the angels of the Lord, who, who are in God's temple, they say, Lord Almighty, how long will you withhold mercy from Jerusalem and from the towns of Judah? How long, Lord? which you have been angry with these last 70 years. So they've been in exile and they're coming back home, uh, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, all of the destruction of that. They just got their temple put back together and they're heartbroken and the angels start talking to God saying, how long? Show some mercy on Jerusalem and Judah. This is embarrassing. The cognitive dissonance after it was finished, they, they stepped back. You could see their hearts sinking. And they quickly realize that this temple pales in comparison to the one Solomon built. And so the context of Zechariah is the people who'd been promised the promised land were now worshiping in the low rent district. You told Father Abraham and, and, and Mother Sarah that I'm going to bless you and make you a blessing. And every place you set your foot, I'm gonna, you're going to possess it. And look up at the stars and I'm going to, through, through your seed, all nations will be blessed. And here we are and we've got this little tumble down shack and... The cognitive dissonance, at which point God asks them through the prophet Haggai, their contemporaries, Haggai and Zechariah. Haggai says, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? And how does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? God is talking to them saying, you remember? You remember the former glory and you're looking at it now. Does it not seem to you like Nothing. Have you ever been in that position where it feels like the life you once knew, that life that was so rich in all the right ways has slipped through your fingers? You had these dreams and, and you had this golden age of glory that you remember and here you are now. Remember when we didn't have to worship like this? <laughs> Remember when we didn't have to wear masks and remember when the kids could just go to school and be kids and remember when you, you didn't feel self-conscious about shaking someone's hand and like, hey, you know, am I allowed to? And you're looking at people's feet instead of looking people in the eyes and, and you know, what's the, what's the password? New England clam chowder. Okay, you can shake my hand. Like, like no one knows how to do this dance. Do you remember when life was a little bit more innocent? You remember when you can hug people and you could travel easily and you could go into hospitals? Do you remember when you didn't have to look through windows at the, at the nursing homes at your aging parents or grandparents and only wave at them? You remember when you could stand bedside when someone was entering their rest? Maybe some of you remember growing up in the Jesus movement of the 70s when your heart was, to, it was brought to life by the Spirit of God and you would worship and you would worship and you would worship. Remember the church of your childhood. Some of you have these memories, these golden ages of glory that are frozen in your mind. And I'll just say to you that the book of Zechariah is an invitation to bring our disappointments into the presence of God. Do you know that God is not afraid of our truth telling? You know that two-thirds of the Psalms have an element of lament in them? And I think too many Christians are practicing a false politeness in the presence of God. Oh, Bless the Lord, blessed and highly favored. It's just so good to be here today. And we, just, yeah, life is, no, God says, why don't you just tell me how you feel? Go ahead and open up your heart. And the psalmist, they go, my God, my God, why? Psalm 22, 1, and Jesus hangs on the cross and doesn't seem to think the Father is too precious. And Jesus takes up verbatim on the cross the cry of the psalmist. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
The book of Zechariah is an invitation to bring your disappointments into the presence of the Lord. And here we are in this season of Lent, but I want to suggest to you we've all kind of been living in a year-long Lent. It's kind of what it's felt like to me. Like, when are we going to kind of transition? When, you know, when's Easter coming? And we had an Easter, but it doesn't feel like Easter. You know, uh, it, it's okay to bring your disappointments into the presence of God, to journal, to cry out, to write poetry, to say, God, when's this thing going to shift? And when are you going to take me back into and, and I remember the former glory. God, what are you going to do to get this thing right-sized? But the second thing I want to say is the book of Zechariah is an invitation to surrender our expectations of what the golden age of glory has to look like. So we can name our disappointments, but we also have to surrender our expectations of what the golden age of glory has to look like. Eugene Peterson was a long friend of mine. He translated the Message Bible. Many of you will know about the Message Translation and I wrote a book last year called Chasing Wisdom that tells the story of when the bottom fell out at New Life 13, 14 years ago. I, I pursued Eugene and Pastor Glenn did as well. And, and Eugene, he, he was this small town boy from Kalispell, Montana, and he, he went to Seattle Pacific in Seattle and got his undergrad and then drove to New York City as a young 22-year-old. And he gets, he gets enrolled in one of the greatest seminaries on the planet, and he's getting world-class training, and he quickly rises above. People start going, who is this kid from Montana who knows Greek and Hebrew inside out? While he's studying there as a master's student, they hire him as an adjunct to start teaching the original languages. Eugene's crushing it as a 23, 24-year-old. He graduates and he goes to Johns Hopkins in Baltimore, is working on his doctoral work, and people all around him, world-class intellect, world-class writer, world-class, he's just, he's crushing it. And Eugene told me, sitting in his living room one night, he said, I figured after I finished my doctoral work that I would go to one of the sort of great preaching seat Presbyterian churches in America. And I would, I would be with the high society Christians and the ones who go to think tanks in Washington, D.C. and talk about evangelicalism in America. And I figured God would, you know, use me and sit, situate me in one of those settings. He said, you know where he sent me? He sent me to Bel Air, Maryland, to this little suburbia place that was being developed. To, and he sent me a bunch of alcoholics in my church, Disordinate, inordinate amount of alcoholics and drug dealers. Drug, we had drug dealers in, in my church. And, and I'm working with people who are trying to get clean. And he, he said, I was, I was working with suburbanites who didn't really care to come to church and didn't really care about the gospel. They're just kind of lazy in their faith. And he said, and I had all these uh, widows, these elderly widows in my congregation. He said, the Lord, I thought the Lord was going to put me over here in this, you know, huge pulpit and huge platform and change America and really talk to the people who were thinking you know, great thoughts about the kingdom of God. He said he situated me with alcoholics and drug dealers and, and disinterested suburbanites and elderly widows. And once a week, Eugene would do a Bible study. Three of these widows came to him and they said, would you teach us the scriptures? So he said every Tuesday I'd go and I'd meet these widows in their late 70s and early 80s. And he said before class each week, I would take the text we were going to study and I would translate it for them. That's how we got the message Bible. 
He said, I go sit at a greasy spoon diner with this drug, druggie who was, you know, still kind of hung over and coming to. And we would sit there and I'd buy him breakfast and try to help him get cleaned up for the morning. And he said, I realized he didn't know Psalm 3. Lord, how many are my foes? Many rise up against me. Many are saying of me, there's no help for you and God. For you, O oh Lord, are a shield for me, the glory and the lifter of my head. He didn't understand the King James I put in front of him. So what I did was I translated it into language that a druggie could understand. The Message Bible has sold 20 million copies and Bono stands up pre-COVID. He'd stand up in in stadiums with 100,000 people and he'd read Psalm 40. I waited and I waited and I waited on God. And everyone would go, whoa. And we know about the Message Translation. We know about Eugene Peterson, but it only took him 65 years to become an overnight success. And I want to suggest to you that much of the glorious result of the Message Bible can be attributed to the inglorious conditions in which it was written. The glory came from the inglorious 30 years of pastoral ministry with people who were tucked away in anonymity and people that no one else served and no one else loved and no one else took to breakfast at a greasy spoon diner and Eugene's just there faithfully translating the scriptures and passing it across the table and the glory that we experience when we hold up God's word as translated through the message came from 30 years of inglorious work. I think that's what Zechariah's trying to tell us, like, can you surrender your expectations of what it has to look like? Eugene thought he'd be up on the big stage. He's in the greasy spoon diner taking care of people that no one else cares for. And because he submitted to that for decades, God said, I can trust you. We have to surrender our expectations. But the third thing I want to say about the book of Zechariah is that it's an invitation to believe a future glory is coming that will far surpass the very best days of our former glory. A future glory is coming that will far surpass the very best days of the former glory. There's this juxtaposition we see, future versus former, future versus former. Zechariah and Haggai are preachers that, that are sent to stir our imaginations for God's great eschatological future, for that great kingdom day when all will be made right. Haggai picks this up, or Zechariah in chapter two, he says, then I looked up and there before me was a man with a measuring line in his hand. And I asked, where are you going? And he answered me, to measure Jerusalem. This is construction language. Remember, chapter one is they look at the temple that they have and it's it's heartbreaking and it's embarrassing and and it looks like trash compared to what their forefathers and foremothers experienced. But now this angel takes out a tape measure and he's going to measure Jerusalem to find out how wide and how long it is. And while the angel who was speaking to me was leaving, another angel came to meet him and said to him, run. And tell that young man, Zechariah, Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of people and animals in it. And I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord. And I will be its glory within. God speaks to to Zechariah through the angels to talk about that future that will be and that God will be the God within it. And you won't need a wall around it anymore in that great day of the Lord because I will be the presence within it. I will be your safety. And essentially what Zechariah is saying is you think Solomon's kingdom was glorious. Well, just wait for the Messiah's kingdom. You remember 400 years before, but just wait until that great glorious day. You think Jerusalem was wonderful? Well, wait for the new Jerusalem to come. Essentially, Zechariah is saying, but baby, you just ain't seen nothing yet. 
Revelation 21, we read it at the beginning, verses one through four. So this is now imaging that great day that is coming. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God and he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death and there will be no more mourning and there will be no more crying and there will be no more pain for the old order of things has passed away. This is imaging the future, future arrival of God's presence, God is coming, says Zechariah. And the temptation is to look back to that golden age of glory that you want to fix and freeze in your mind as the best it will ever be. And Zechariah and John on Patmos, they turn our attention out toward God's glorious future and say, yeah, that was, that was wonderful. Thank God for that. And here you are stuck in the middle and it feels like the bottom has fallen out. But I'm telling you, a day is coming that's going to make that day blush. <laughs> A day is coming that's going to make that day look like the low rent district. A day is coming when your greatest memories of the past will be far surpassed by the kingdom that is coming and the will of God that will be done. Future glory is coming. Friends, it's so easy to get stuck looking back. And what they want us to do today is to say, come Lord Jesus, and to look to the future that day where there will be no more funeral homes and no more hospitals, and no more first responders. Praise God for doctors and nurses and first responders. Praise God for Natalia going down to Honduras and doing this amazing kingdom work. And there's going to be a day when Natalia just gets to worship. (laughs) She's not going to have to be healing bodies anymore because healing has come once and for all. Can you say amen? So the question that gets asked, we hear all this, we can bring our disappointments into the presence of the Lord and we can surrender our expectations and we can look for this future glory that will far surpass the former glory. So now the question is, what is our call right now? Looking at the temple that we're working with, looking at the lives that we're living in, looking at the situation we find ourselves in, what's our call right now? Our call is to make space for God in the world. It won't feel like much, but here's how I want to say it today. Build the best little temple that you can muster. (laughs) They put together the temple they could build at that time with that economy, with what they had. It wasn't Solomon's, but this is what we can do. And we can go there and we can worship and we can go there and we can take our children and we can go there and we can create a safe space for the elderly, the Simeons and the Annas to come into God's presence and to be loved and to be seen and to be known. And we can go there and we can sing the songs with the instruments that we have and we can make the sacrifices that we can make at this point in our lives. Build the best little temple that you can muster. And and I promise you, it's just not going to feel like much. For some of you, you're changing diapers right now. You're just, you're, you're grinding it out, sleepless nights. Some of you, you're doing school carpool lines. Some of you, you're, you're working the job and living in the apartment that you're living with, with the roommate that you have, and, and it's not your favorite situation. And there was a golden age of glory that was much better than the one that you're in right now. But can you make a space for God right where you are? 
Some of you are grandparents and, and you're in a new season of life and you've recently retired and you're trying to find the new normal and, and, you, and you feel like your sense of purpose is lost because I used to go to that job every day and I knew what my life was supposed to look like and now I've got this, this time and this space. What am I supposed to do with it? Well, what can you press into right now to just create a little space for God in the world? It won't feel like a former age of glory, but I promise you God will do something with it. For me, it's... The soccer pitch. We've got three kids playing soccer and two kids playing basketball right now. And we go out to the soccer pitch. And I, you know, someone told me the other day, Colorado Springs is just this evangelical mega hub of the world and everyone's a Christian. I said, what city are you living in? <laughs> are you serious? I'll tell you, 80921, the, the words my kids are hearing out on the soccer pitch, people need Jesus. <laughs> my Lord God Almighty, I, I, you know, the, I taught them the F word, faith, you know. These other kids taught them a different, like we got work to do. And so Lisa and I, we go out to the soccer pitch and we go, spirit of the living God, come here. Would you fill us today so that we go out and we talk to this person and we talk to that person, that person who hadn't been, I've had people tell me I haven't been to church in 20 years and they show up at church because they've spent two years with us waiting for us to, to mess up waiting for us to show them that Jesus was bad news. And they said, after two years, he seems to be good news. Will you tell me more about that story? It's making a space for God in the world. And it doesn't look like Solomon's glorious temple of of the past, but it's just where we are right now. So build the very best little temple that you can muster in the world. Here we are at the Antlers Hilton. Oh, and, 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 you know, it's not... It's not what we're waiting for, and it's not what we've experienced in the past, but don't look now. The spirit of the living God is here, and we gather every single week, and it's, oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. We come into the presence of the Lord, and the spirit breaks out, and people worship, and tears flow, and children are rising up and calling their parents blessed because the spirit is working in this little bitty temple, the best little temple we can muster right here and right now. Second thing I want to say is become a temple for everyone that comes your way. On your little street where you live, with the little kids that run up to your house, have some popsicles in your freezer and just dole out popsicles in the name of Jesus. Become a temple right where you are for the people that you encounter. You go into jobs where people will not darken the doors of a church, but Jesus on Monday morning sends you back out to be missionaries. He's saying, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now go get them. (laughs) Show them the truth. Live the truth out in front of them. If you see someone who needs help with their mortgage and you can help, you don't have to call the church. Step into that space. Be the people of God. Become a temple so that everyone who bumps into you says, Surely the Lord was in this place and I didn't even know it. What is different about these people? What's different about Lorenda Curdy? I've known this woman almost 17 years and just being around her, she is a temple of the Holy Spirit and every situation she steps into, she's ready. Let's be like that. Become the temple for everyone that comes your way. But here's the good news. God does the heavy lifting. I want to suggest to you that the good news is it's God's promise to fill the temple with his presence. You create the space. He provides the presence. You don't do the heavy lifting. I don't do the heavy lifting. We're not trying to strong arm God into doing something he's unwilling to do. He just says, create holy ground for me. Create a temple for me. Be a temple for me. And I promise you, I will fill it. Through the years of being at New Life, people will drive up. 
our big blue building up north, right? Through the years, people, I've watched people walk in the lobby and they just immediately start sobbing. They don't even know why. They said, well, I, I just, I don't know why I'm so emotional. I've had people say, we were just driving by and we've, there's this big blue building with a cross on top and uh, we just, all of a sudden we knew we had to be in here today. God does the heavy lifting. <laughs> we just create a space. It's his job. It's his promise to fill the temple with his presence. Here we are at the Antlers Hilton. Here we are with the lives that we're living. And it's God's job to step into this space and to make it meaningful space for us. We had a guy who would come to Friday night, lived a just a horrendous life, but had really deep pockets. And when you have really deep pockets, when you have a lot of money, very often you can mask a horrendous life. And he'd been living this for 15 years, and finally he broke one day. I never met this guy. He shows up in our service, and he's sitting there, and I see this guy, like, heaving in his chair, just like sobbing. And I go over to him after the service, and he says, I... My life, finally I hit the breaking point and I knew I had to find a church and I came here on a Friday night. He said, I have no idea. I literally have no idea what's going on. I've never read the Bible, but I know this is the truest story in the world. It's God's promise to fill his temple with glory. We create a space. We try to become a temple. We do our best to live a life of honor before the Lord, but it's his job. And Zechariah picks this up in chapter 4, verse 6. He said, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, the high priest, not by might and nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. God does the heavy lifting, not by power, not by might, not, not by great marketing schemes of human, humans, not by our tricky little church tricks. None of that stuff does, does the trick. It's not by power. It's not by might. It's by the spirit of the Lord, says the Lord Almighty. Create the best little temple you can muster and become the safe little temple that people will bump into and find Jesus and then trust that it's not by your power, And it's not by your might, but it's by the Spirit of the Lord. The disciples came up to Jesus. They'd watched this man, who was this enigmatic character, walk around the dusty roads of Palestine, and he'd heal the sick, and he'd raise the dead, and he'd give sight to the blind. And he'd open up, take five loaves and two fish, and boom, 5,000 plus women and children are fed that night. What is going on with this man, Jesus? And they said, Jesus... You've got authority that we never imagined. Would you teach us how to pray? And what does Jesus say to them? We, we read it earlier, and I'm going to invite you now to stand with me. And we're going to pray together the words the Lord Jesus taught us to pray. But I want you to pay particular attention to these words of Jesus. He says, and we'll, re- we'll pray it in a second, but I'm going to set it up. He says, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name. Hallowed means holy, revered. So pray this way, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then the next phrase, your kingdom come and your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. This is our job. This is our call. This is our vocation to build the, little best, the best little temple we can muster and to become a temple and to just say, Father, come. We've hallowed your name right here in this space. Now, would you come fill it? 
So would you join me now in praying the words that the Lord Jesus taught us to pray, and they'll be up on the screen, I think, saying, Our Father, who, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.